0: Today we see someone risk it all. The beauty queen is going to put it all on the line to save her people. And in the meantime, God is hidden. You're listening to The Bible Brief. The Jews are in trouble, and the evil Haman, the enemy of the Jews, has convinced the king of Persia, Ahasuerus, to issue a decree allowing the Jews to be slaughtered in the coming months. All throughout Persia, the Jews mourn the coming catastrophe, which seems inevitable. And in the city of Susa, the beautiful Queen Esther, the secret Jewess, is preparing to approach Ahasuerus. She will go into his presence unsummoned and risk death in the process. We ended our last episode with her brave words. She said to Mordecai, "'Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf.'" And do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. These are words of faith. Though God is hidden throughout the book of Esther, we yet see faithful actions of both Esther and Mordecai. In the midst of mourning over their apparent fates, Mordecai knows that deliverance will arise for the Jews. He has an unspoken faith in God, providing salvation, whether it is through Esther or through some other means. And then Esther, resigned to do what appears to be her purpose and rising to be the queen of Persia, risks death to save her people. Does God's hiddenness mean that he will forsake his people? Is part of his judgment their annihilation in Persia? Let's keep going with the story. The fast is over and today is the day. You can imagine the young queen's heart pounding and her hands shaking as she puts on makeup that morning. A sense of coldness as if death were already declaring victory over the day. And yet, as she slowly approaches the throne room, a burst of love and courage flowing from her dedication to her people. Death might desire victory, but Esther wouldn't yield in cowardice. She would approach the king with courage. And then, the doors open, and her eyes immediately meet Ahasuerus. Was that compassion in his eyes? Or was it anger? Was death imminent? Let's read the response of Ahasuerus. Ahasuerus held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. And then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And the king said to her, "'What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request?' It shall be given to you, even to the half of my kingdom. Death, it seems, would have to wait for Esther. Ahasuerus had favor on her and held out his scepter to allow her entrance into his presence. Her courage was met with the king's kindness. And Esther said, If it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. And then the king said, Bring Haman quickly so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. And as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, What is your wish? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Esther answered, My wish and my request is, If I have found favor in the sight of the king, if it please the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request— Let the king and Haman come to a feast that I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. Oddly enough, Esther doesn't immediately make known her desire to the king. And oddly enough, she doesn't later at the feast, even when the king asks her what she wants. And oddly enough, she invites Haman to be part of this extended ordeal. Esther's cooking up something, and it's not just a feast. Now that evening, Haman was ecstatic. He had just enjoyed the most exclusive meal in the kingdom as the sole guest of the king and queen. Life couldn't get better than this. Well, except for that Mordecai who wouldn't give him any respect. Listen to what Haman says to his wife. Even Queen Esther let no one but me come with the king to the feast that she prepared. And tomorrow I'm also invited by her with the king. Yet all this is worth nothing to me, so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, Let a gallows eighty feet high be made, and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast. This idea pleased Haman, and he had the gallows made. And later that night we see a different scene unfolding in the palace. The king was apparently Anxious to know the request of Esther, and he couldn't sleep. And funny enough, to try to sleep, he has someone get out the history of the Persian Empire. Maybe having a history book read to him would lull him to sleep. But soon, in the historical chronicles, his servants begin reading about how Mordecai the Jew saved the king from an assassination attempt. And the king says, What honor or distinction has been bestowed upon Mordecai for this? The king's young men who attended him said, nothing has been done for him. And the king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he'd prepared for him. And the king's young men told him, Haman is there, standing in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king said to him, What should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman said to himself, Whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman said to the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor, and let them lead him on a horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus it shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robes and the horse as you have said, and do so to Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. So Haman took the robes and the horse, and he dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Now what we just read is the turn in the story. We see the shift in the narrative that characterizes the book of Esther. What looks inevitable and unchangeable is changed in an instant. And in this case, Mordecai went from faded to the gallows to highly honored by the king. And Haman's wife senses this turn of events too, as she later says to him, if Mordecai before whom you have begun to fall is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. I imagine Haman wasn't very encouraged by his wife's comment. Now later that day, Esther has prepared another feast, and Ahasuerus and Haman are at the table. The king says again, What is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you, and what is your request? Even to half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be granted me for my wish. And my people for my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther, Who is he, and where is he who has dared to do this? And Esther said, A foe and an enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. In the next verses, after begging for his life in vain, Haman is hanged, and not just hanged, but hanged on the very gallows that he had built for Mordecai to be hanged on. Haman went from highly honored by the king to hanged on the gallows, the exact reverse of the story of Mordecai. Yet a problem remained. The villain was dealt with, but the decree was irrevocable. How would the Jews be saved from slaughter? Well, Mordecai, with the blessing of the king, launches a plan. A plan involving a second decree. This decree would allow the Jews to defend themselves on the set day for their slaughter. It said that, The king allowed the Jews who were in every city to gather and defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white with a great golden crown and a robe of fine linen and purple. And the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. And in every province and in every city, wherever the king's command and his edict reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday. And many of the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews, for fear of the Jews had fallen on them. And then we see the final reversal. When those days came where the Jews defended themselves, instead of their slaughter, they successfully defended themselves against those who hated them. An apparent death sentence for all the Jews gave way to life and victory for the Jewish people. And soon the Jews instituted a feast to celebrate this event. This event on which the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days of sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. Now listen to this. This feast was called Purim, after the term Pur, which is a Persian term meaning to cast lots. This was a Persian religious practice where Persians superstitiously tried to understand the favorability or unfavorability of days based on apparent chance. Think of something like rolling a dice, and if it lands on 1, 2, 3, 4, or 5, it's an unfavorable day. But if it's a 6, it's going to be a good day. The Persians did this to try to figure out when to take risks and complete tasks. Well, Haman had initially done this to determine the day on which he would try to get the king's permission to annihilate the Jews. He cast lots, or cast poor, and determined it to be a favorable day well, here's the thing. The Jews also had a method of casting lots, but theirs was to determine the will of God amidst uncertainty rather than to superstitiously understand the days. In fact, the Bible says this about casting lots. It says this in the book of Proverbs, the lot is cast into the lap and it's every decision is from the Lord. For the Persians, lot casting was a faithless task. For the Jews, it was a faithful way to understand God's will. And here's perhaps the last reversal to notice in the book of Esther. This God, who is so hidden through the book, is the same God who gave beauty to Esther to be chosen queen, who gave opportunity to Mordecai to save the king from assassination, who kept the king from sleeping, who elevated Mordecai to honor, and who saved the Jews through the courageous Esther. This was the same God who made Haman's apparent success casting poor to lead to his downfall before Esther and Mordecai. God may be hidden, but God's hiddenness is not his absence. His fingerprints are all over the story of Esther and the story of the salvation of the Jews. Just as he made the sea part for the Israelites in the Exodus and showed himself by the pillar of cloud and by fire, so also... God works behind the curtain, in the shadows, behind the scenes, in the casting of poor. Even in such a seemingly small act, similar to rolling some dice, God will not forget His promises, and He will not forget His people. Even when God is hiding, God is working. Join us next time as we wrap up the Old Testament. This God who is hidden in the book of Esther is about to show himself in a way he never has before. The long-awaited king is about to arrive. Thanks for listening to The Bible Brief. Are you enjoying the podcast? Leave us a five-star review on your podcast app. It will help people discover The Bible Brief and be exposed to the life-changing story and message of the Bible. Thank you for helping us grow. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2022.